Now, KMOX at your service. Welcome to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, lunchtime home improvement. Scott Mosby at the helm. We are launching down the Mississippi River trying to fix everything around your home, your house, your world. It is indeed one more hour of the Helitech Home Improvement Show. I promise to give you my very best. Bosco is my pet gerbil right here at the right side of me. He's on the treadmill, solely responsible at times for turning out 50,000 watts to broadcast KMOX. A little bit of help, sometimes a lot of help from Ameren. Uh, we appreciate that very much uh, as well. But Helitech Home Improvement Show coming to you. Bosco, Ameren, Scott, despite some of our, I don't know, maybe not best efforts, we're coming through. 314-436-7900 is how you call and become part of all of this conversation or toll-free anywhere on the planet, 800-925-1120. We had our first hour, great callers, good things. We've got some good calls right on the air. I'm going to go to right away because they're, they're really good topics, and we've got all sorts of things happening. I'm Scott Mosby. I own and operate Mosby Building Arts. It's a design, build, remodeling company. We do exclusively residential, which means homes and condos, uh, any place you live, that's the type of thing we do. We are the, a full uh, architectural firm as well as a construction company. Our claim to fame is we don't really subcontract everything. So a general contractor may only have two or three employees and they subcontract the entire project. We self-perform as much of it as we possibly can. And uh, that's really where, you know, if you've ever done a remodeling project yourself, the communication or lack thereof between the various teammates or subcontractors is where the project gets awry. Our answer to that is just have everybody on one team, lock us all in one room and don't let us out till we're done. So that's kind of an oversimplification of it. But that's how Mosby Building Arts does it. Let's go to the phones and see what's cooking and uh, let's see what's happening here. Uh, let's go with, uh, how about Todd? Hey, Todd, Scott Mosby here. Thanks for your patience and welcome to KMOX. Hi, Scott. Yeah, I am an HVAC contractor in Illinois, and I wanted to interject a thing, a thought on... Hey, Todd, Todd, hold on a minute. Yeah. I think your cheek's in front of the microphone. It's muffled. Oh, okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. Um, the uh, the man that had the humidity problem in the basement earlier, yeah. I had a couple thoughts about it. Uh, one, he, he says he has ductwork, but I'm kind of curious that he may not have a return air down there which is definitely going to remove the moisture. and Which means it's it, not going to suck in all the air from the basement. It may have some blowout supplies, but no way to draw the air in and dry it with the unit. Yeah. Correct. And then, and then I thought I was kind of concerned when he said that he, his basement was 77 degrees. Yeah. Uh, that's pretty warm, and you kind of wonder if he doesn't have some infiltration problems there. Yeah, air, uh, air leakage around the uh, base. Yeah, I, I'm with you. Yeah, maybe around the band board, because that's a place, like, especially older homes that can tend to, from settling that, as you're well aware of. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, the other thing, um, I, I really wanted to back up what you said about the portable dehumidifiers. I have a newer home. These newer homes uh, are tighter. I use a small dehumidifier portable, the woman that had the issue with the mold in the bathroom totally agree with you use if you use that it'll work just dry also, it out faster don't let it grow absolutely and then the basement 
where that man was, you know, you can move it around the rooms. And if you buy a model that actually has a humidity reading, I always shoot for 50%. Yeah. Because I believe at 55 and above is where you're going to start having your mold issues. Yep. Agreed. So I just wanted to throw that in there. And I appreciate you letting me go on and throw in a couple thoughts. Hey, Todd, professional HVAC, you're a higher level of knowledge than I am. Welcome aboard. You're welcome anytime, man. I, I, I appreciate you having my back on this one. No problem. You have a good day, sir. All right. Take care. Thanks for help. Yep. Bye. Bye. There we go. Todd is just reiterating that it matters how fast you dry things out. I was kind of, uh, we, we were talking to John in hour one. He was our first caller. Uh, should I get a portable dehumidifier for my basement and dry that out or get a central unit um, put into the the actual ductwork? Um, and and I, I, I follow it. I mean, I'm tracking right there with Todd on that. There may not be enough air. Well, first off, uh, in any house, probably if you're listening to me, your house doesn't have enough return air, which means that thing up on the wall, uh, they're hard to find a place to do it. Uh, generally, they're an afterthought when the house or the remodeling is installed. And uh, I'm in a house built in the 1950s. It is woefully woefully poorly underserved by return air just because that's the way it was and you can damper things and you can put double units in it and all that stuff but until you overcome that return air you're just not getting the hot air in the air conditioning hot summer you're not getting the hot air into the furnace to let it do its thing and cool it off and spit it back out or in the winter time you're not getting that cold air into the furnace to warm it up and spit it back out and heat the house. So uh, Todd's got, he was right on the track there anyway. I appreciate the help. And as far as that bathroom and the mold and the ceramic tile and all of that, um, think about the difference between a very humid area. Um, and I'm going to do this geographically. So St. Louis is very humid. Uh, Florida, south, uh, you're very closer to the equator you get. It's wet all the time because the air just got moisture hanging in it. Then you run out to Arizona and New Mexico. Uh, some of those uh, actual arid states that are very dry and there's just no moisture in the air. So you may work out very hard and sweat here in St. Louis, whereas out in the arid desert area, you may never see perspiration because it evaporates so quickly because there's nothing in the air. It just immediately goes, goes into vapor and cools the skin immediately. So anyway, keep that in mind in terms of uh, what Todd was talking about and how quickly you can stop or diminish mold in a bathroom or a shower or a basement, areas that are con you know common to have high humidity. All right, well, I put you to sleep enough. 314-436-7900, Give us a call, toll-free, 800-925-1120. We're going to get into decks here when we come back on KMOX. So much to talk about, so little time. <laughs> Scott Mose. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. All right, back together, home improvement. I promise we've got lots of things happening here on KMOX. Don't go away. So much to talk about. And we've got some good phone lines going right here on KMOX. Let's uh, see what's cooking here and talk to Mark. Hey, Mark, good afternoon. Welcome to lunchtime on KMOX. How can I help, sir? Hey, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. 
about five years ago, I built a 16 by 20 womanized treated deck on two foot centers with uh, the boards on top being the uh, two foot stock material. You know, the wife wanted to go to a composite deck, you know, after a year or so. So mm-hmm. we tried a special coating, um, did the prep on it and everything, put the special coating down, had disastrous results with that. Okay. <laughs> yep. After, after two years, it peeled up. Now, there's a new product out that one of the box stores sells. It's called Alt- Quick Cap by Ultra Deck. Mm-hmm. Essentially what it is, it's like a half-inch board composite material, and you lay it over your existing deck. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, individuals at the box store, I had questions that they seemed to, to not answer. I said, how do you prep? You know, because now it's my deck. I once a year, Thompson water sealer. Uh, my deck's in the backyard. I've got a beautiful maple tree that provides the shade, but I don't know if you know about maple trees. They, <laughs> they, shed, they shed leaves, they shed seed pods and, yeah, and one other three years so it's a constant cleaning and the materials getting down between the the grooves of the womanized material mm-hmm. so but i asked the gentleman i said okay i'll put this quick cap down but how do i prep the existing deck do i seal it with paint because once the quick the cap's on i know that maintenance for the material down below of course we've been talking about moisture all morning long mm-hmm you know, I don't want into a problem where the womanized material is rotting on me and, you know, I got a nice looking deck, but I'd step out on it and fall through someday. Or, or here's the other part and where this is going to go on my end, Mark, is or one side of that composite deck being the top side stays wet all the time because this new compo- or the of uh, the womanized and then the composite, the bottom side of that. So you've got one half of a piece of wood that's wet all the time because it can never dry out because the other stuff's laid over it. And then the bottom, which will be very dry, that wood is going to go back to trying to be a tree and it's going to warp like crazy. So I'm not in favor of the uh, overcoat uh, liquid applied things on old worn out decks. I'm not in favor of a nice composite going over the top uh, because it's the whole system that your wife will eventually not like. It's not whether or not the composite deck part is in good shape or not. Together, I am not in favor of trapping moisture in any construction assembly, period. Right. And, right. and that's kind of where the basis of your question is like, is this going to work? And it's like, it, it will, but I think if you read the warranty, the product quality will be good on the composite, but they will not uh, put a warranty on the performance of the wood underneath it, which is going to be the Achilles heel, weak link, and the failure point. Well, here's my next option then. Can I just take off that two-by womanized material and and – but see, it's on two foot centers. I'd have to. I'd have to and, somehow. Yep. It's a real mess. I'd have to frame it out somehow just to go with composite again, right? Uh, well, not really. You can put blocking in between there. You do have the yeah. structure to carry it, but you're going to put blocking on. You know, ten or. 14 inch, six, 16. I mean, you've got to calculate this too, because if you do the com- composites, a handful, it is not wood. It's not very structural. You put it on diagonally. Now you're really full of trouble. Um, and it, it gets longer and shorter. So I've seen uh, composite decking, good quality stuff, nothing wrong with it. 
put on diagonally on the deck and it literally between the summertime and the wintertime it leaned over in the summertime because the decking got longer and it racked the whole deck to a lean and then in the wintertime six months later you go back out and the deck looks fine because it all got short again when it got cold so you've got a that, that would be the work of the two evils put just go and get regular decking composite decking material rip off the woman eyes and you know build up the you know my framing and everything and put that down yeah, there are a few other options. There's a Tiger deck. There's a um, uh, Paulope, but it's an Ipe, I-P-E. It's a South American hardwood. Um, it sinks in water. Termites can't eat it. It's a little more costly than composite. But any of these easy-to-apply products generally are targeted toward the consumer, and they're not necessarily... Um, right. Uh, subject to a labor installation warranty, which is really the failure point on almost the entire industry. The products, for the most part, you know, even when you have product failure, installation generally has some part in it. So it's, yeah. you know, and, and, you know, they're not taking any responsibility for the labor because it's a DIY product. And that's that's my main yeah. beef with all this stuff. You know, the the liquid applied deck coatings and... Oh, it was terrible. It was terrible. Oh, yeah. Well, I think you're heading toward the same sort of thing. I'm not going to really get right into it, but anytime any well, system... The only other option, which I'm sure my wife would love to have, is go ahead and put the womanize down. I mean, go ahead and put the composite down and everything like that and then turn turn the open deck into a covered deck. Uh, you can do that as long as you're keeping the moisture. But even when you get into a covered deck, you get blowing rain, you can get water, you can get wet decking four feet inside of that with an eight-foot ceiling. So even a covered deck isn't uh, immune from all of this because that's also where the hot sun hits too. Right, I got you. So you now you get it really cold or really wet, and then you get it really hot and quickly dry, yeah. and now you've got Mother Nature doing her worst. Yeah, I'll tell your listeners. Well, I'm sure they hear it now, but we do live in what they call the Mississippi Valley, so <laughs> <laughs> that's why we got the moisture. Hey, thanks a lot, Scott. Right on, brother. Thanks, Mark. I think I'll just go. I just put regular composite boards down and be done with it. Yeah, yeah. Get, get Anything that dries itself, you're going to be in better shape. And you can close down that 24-inch spacing with blocking as well. Yeah, and one guy said, take this the old tar roofing material that you paint mobile homes. Uh-huh. You put that down first and then put that composite. Uh, quick cap on, but I don't know. No, 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 no. That's not going to work. That, that, that's, a, that's kind of a fake. You know, you're going to pretend that you're waterproofing that old wood, but it won't. Because still, yeah. the water is going to sit on top of that waterproofing underneath that composite and around the edges, the water's going to roll yeah. around that waterproofing and eventually get to that decking again off your, the races warping and the same old stuff, just slower. Yeah. Hey, one other, one other thing that just came to my mind. I was a fireman for 30 years in St. Louis. Right on. And Thank you. I don't know if, you know, there's different types of qualities of, of bathroom exhaust fans, but I saw a lot of a lot of fires with those exhaust fans for people who just left them on constantly. You know, I, I don't think they're designed to just run constantly. I, if, I usually just run a dehumidifier in the bathroom. Yeah, yeah. Well, they're supposed to be hard ducted to the exterior, so if you do get a fire, you're not going to set the house on fire. That's where I'd say 80% yeah. of the problem, they're doing that plastic flex stuff, and it's, yeah. then it, then you're just fanning the fire. So, yeah, a lot of times they would catch fire and drop down and yeah. 
they were lucky to drop right in the toilet and put the fire out. So that, <laughs> that was nice. Well, hey, thanks for your show, and you do a great job, and I'll consider your uh, suggestions there. Right on, Mark. Good luck, my friend. All right. Bye. Bye. Home improvements, Scott Mosby, KMOX. Sometimes you just have to noodle through this stuff. I mean, uh, uh, there are uh, products are made to be sold. Uh, assembled, professionally installed products are expected to perform. So beware as a DIY consumer, and this is not about the installation, of product claims because generally you're not that trained in how to install that stuff. And if it fails, you know, the supplier didn't have any part in the installation. Whereas when you're dealing with a contractor, the, the guy that installs that stuff is generally, as we had a question about leaf shedding issues on a gutter in hour one, is the consumer expects performance when it's professionally, in, you know, installed. It's like, I don't care what you did to it. I want the water in the gutter you know, the downspouts to carry it away. And I don't want water underneath my roof shingles when you're done. You know, I mean, those are all reasonable performance expectations. When you do the labor and the installation and the product supply, you have single source responsibility. And frankly, you know, in my world, I want that. I demand that. That's why we went into the design business years ago. Because as a contractor, uh, you know, we got paid the largest amount of money. We have the highest level of responsibility, yet we didn't get to vote on the product. We didn't get to vote on how it was installed. We didn't get to vote because we weren't the architect's designers. They were specifying. It's like, well, if I'm going to hold the, the warranty on this thing, by golly, I want to know. I want to put it together to my best and highest quality of experience, knowledge, and product. That's why we are in the design-build business because we can't help ourselves. We love this stuff. And, you know, we want the responsibility because we want a shot at getting it right. So keep in mind, a lot of these DIY products just dodge that whole installation responsibility and therefore warranty responsibility. And so, you know, you really, as consumers, you really have to kind of keep your eyes open for some of these new things because if the pros aren't installing it, probably you as a DIY guy probably shouldn't either. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, KMOX. I'll get off my log here in my stump. Uh, but it, it, there's a lot to learn of if you're supplying a warranty as a professional, you're going to be involved in all that stuff. Um, you know, the product selection, the installation, the labor and labor training, therefore the warranty and the delivery and the performance you know, if you're just nailing some stuff on, you know, if it goes on, you're good. But if it doesn't perform that way, you really don't hold and you don't, you know, you can't hold the supplier accountable for that. Anyway, 314-436-7900-800-925-1120, the Helitech Home Improvement Show on CamelX. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. Oh, yeah, Scott Mosby it is. You know, I spent just the last five minutes looking for my glasses. Samantha, my lovely and helpful producer, said, Oh, you mean the ones hooked on your shirt on your chest? Yeah, those. I mean, bonafide, I promise. Six minutes looking for my glasses. They're on me. Well, okay, now that your alternative finds somebody else to help you, although I may have blown the trust of the Camwicks listening crowd. Uh, uh, anyway, 
my glasses are back on. I can now see what I'm writing. Fortunately, it's not an interface between my brain and my mouth. That's already messed up enough. So you're on your own, KMOX listeners. Let's go to the phones and see what's cooking here and talk to Mike. Hey, Mike, Scott here. Too much to handle right here. How can I help? Uh, Thanks for answering my call. Um, I've got two questions, both related to foundations and water. Okay. Uh, I've got an over 100-year-old home in Edwardsville that has a front. uh, You walk out the front door onto a concrete porch, stoop, whatever you call it. Okay. It's about five foot square and about a foot and a half, uh, the portion I can see out of the ground. Uh, The side toward the house, uh, toward the door, has sunk down probably three inches down from the front part of it. Uh, The front part of it has two four-by-four supports that hold up a little gable roof that covers the uh, front door. Uh, Would it be safe to mud jack that up, or with that old, old foundation, am I asking for trouble to push in on the basement side? Or can they do that under controlled environment and not cause uh, the pressure, raising just the concrete stoop and not pushing in the basement wall? Uh, uh, That's a handful because typically the concrete stoop will sit, uh, when, when we form those or when it's built, that will sit on top of the foundation almost like a sill plate or a sole plate, just like a two-by-four laying on top. So it just kind of sits there, and usually there's some steel that ties it in so that when you pour that front porch stoop, it kind of hooks and ties and grabs onto the foundation. But the pivot point there uh, is not a problem. The risk on this, Mike, if I'm following you correctly, is if they didn't put steel in there or the steel rusted in a hundred years, that's the problem to where you start jacking up, uh, lifting the five feet away from the foundation part. As it lifts up, it's the risk, in my experience, has been that that five-by-five concrete slab slides off the foundation, not that it rotates because the you know the actual the radius of that is you know you're not going to push in you know more than an eighth or three sixteenths of an inch so it, it's a, a limited risk on that part on the inside and generally you can get down to the you know foundation on the inside and get a sense of what's on the other side of that interior wise the risk is that you lift that puppy up and that thing slides off the foundation and all of it hits the ground 18 inches lower you, you follow that explanation uh, well i I don't know. It, this is so old. I wonder if they really did much of a connection and just came on around later and poured. Uh, I don't know if it's poured concrete or if it's hollow. You can't tell from the outside if it's a hollow five by five by two foot piece of concrete solid or if it's a filled block type thing. Um, it, yeah. Depend- came on it's- just put something to step out on. You know, I'm, I'm guessing it might have had wood steps or something back in the old days. And somebody did a modernization and poured this little concrete uh, thing to step out on to make it a little nicer, is my guess. It it could have been. But either way, whether it's wood, and we face this with front porch roofs, too, where they settle down. And the risk is that as we jack it up, we lever it off the face of the building. And the building connection, kind of like a deck connected to the house, that connection is the failure point, whether it's wood or concrete. Uh, My answer is still the same. Your risk, in my opinion opinion is more that this whole thing falls off the house than it does that you lever it and do damage to in interior walls of the house. Okay, so you think it sounds like uh, put new supports that come out at an angle onto the ground somewhere to support that roof up above and then come in and 
to jackhammer that out and figure out what to replace it with. Then yeah, yeah. So you have you have two issues. The roof is, in my opinion, your biggest risk because that's a wood to wood connection usually up above. We we do that stuff all the time. Believe me, just for our own physical safety of our workers, uh, we hold that up and take that very so we will do shoring. Uh, next to the house of that roof structure when we start messing with it out there, unless the house is, you know, less than 25, 30 years old. 100 years old, you can't count on anything other than Murphy's Law and everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Well, just as we, we just put, me and a friend just put siding on the front and that front gable of that little roof over the porch, it had nothing to put nails into to hold the siding. We had to to put Three by, we had to put some half-inch plywood across what was there so we'd have something to screw uh, vinyl to. Yeah, yeah. You, you know, don't don't count on anything. I mean, the re- there's your there's your <laughs> uh, there's your roadmap. Uh, whatever you think it is, it won't be. Uh, you really have to inspect this thing very carefully. So I, I would hold that roof up completely separately before I started lifting up any kind of floor structure. Uh, another quick question, if I might. Uh, a basement, of course, it's one of these basements where you have to duck your head mm-hmm. to come in. But uh, on one side of the house is the driveway. And it had had, when I bought it, it had uh, some old asphalt and stuff like that. It was much higher than the part next to the house. So I put new, when I got the house, I put new gutters on because it had water moisture issues in the basement. So I put new gutters on, got the water away from the house off the roof. Okay. I tore out uh, all of the driveway, lowered it down to where... Uh, you know, the cars come through, the track of the car is about six foot away from the wall. So I've got it sloped down to that to where the water uh, flows. Away. Nice. So I slope that way to where the water goes on that side of the house down to the car tracks and then flows out to the road. Okay. Uh, up close to the house, I had some extra EDPM plat, uh, rubber. Mm-hmm. So I put a six foot sheet of that down underneath the gravel just to keep any rain that falls on the gravel to be forced away from the house. But I still got a wet wall on that side of the house. Uh, it, it, it's wet to the touch. It, uh, the paint that the previous owner had put on the basement wall has come off. It just looks really awful down there and is very moist. I run a humidifier, or I run, excuse me, a dehumidifier in the basement constantly just to keep the moisture down to a, uh, you know, a decent level. But uh, the friend that helped me do the siding, he does some contracting stuff, and he suggested, although not, not water-type stuff, he does siding windows, et cetera, but... He said that he would pour asphalt on that, making sure it sloped away from the house, and that would take care of the water problem. But I don't want to do that first and then have a problem where i got to tear out along the foundation and fix something on the exterior of the foundation wall. Hang on a minute, Mike. Hang on a minute. You're acting like you can keep the water out of that concrete. You can't. I want you to do some research on a rising damp, D-A-M-P, a rising damp. The moisture from the soil around that foundation will continue to hydrate that wall. The water and the mo- in the soil. So, so doing a dry lock paint on the inside, you don't think would help the dryness in the basement? I got to do something bigger than that. Well, just uh, no, that will help because you will you will put a barrier between the inside of the foundation and the foundation. But in my opinion, you cannot stop that concrete foundation, a hundred year old concrete foundation, from being humidified or wetted by the moisture in the soil that it touches. Where you're sitting? Okay. You follow that? Uh, yeah, yeah. I gotta move my, I gotta move my truck. Yeah. I'm, Mike, I'm gonna have to go now, but but do uh, research on rising damp, R I S I N G D A M P, and uh, it's very common. Basically, the water will come into that concrete, 
never from the air, never from the top, never from the house. It just comes from under the ground. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you. Okay, Mike. Good luck, my friend. Bye there. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby, Camo X. Man, I can come at you with all kinds of weird stuff. You'll have to figure this out. You don't even know whether half of it's true or not. You know, the truth is, I don't either. Welcome back to the Helitech Foundation Repair Home Improvement Show. Now, once again, here's your host, Scott Mosby on KMOX. Oh, yeah. Do you believe they give me 50,000 watts and I push all these buttons? You should see what happens when I open my eyes. Sometimes I hit even the right buttons. Well, let's see what's cooking here and talk with Dennis. Hey, Dennis, good afternoon. Welcome to KMOX. How can I help, sir? Hi, Scott. Thanks for taking my call. How are you? I'm fantabulous. Happy Saturday, brother. Thank you. You too. Thank Here's you. my question, and it's it's more of a question um, than anything. Mm-hmm. So I have some, uh, my house is, my hot and cold water lines are rigid copper, hard mm-hmm. copper. And I'm getting some green corrosion slash oxidation that's growing on the exterior of those pipes in my basement where mm-hmm. I can see it. It's it's in the proximity of a, some galvanized fitting, so I think it's a it's a chemical or molecular reaction with galvanized. Is my guess? Yep, probably um, right. To set this up, I live in rural St. Clair County, and I'm on a deep well. So the water line that feeds comes into my house is a inch uh, Schedule 80 PVC, and then they screwed on a galvanized bell adapter to adapt it down and then from that point on it's uh rigid copper and then it also goes down to a holding tank or a uh, like a pressure bladder tank that has a galvanized union so within about three to five feet of those galvanized fittings i have green corrosion growing on the exterior of the pipe if i get further away from that there is no corrosion that's why i believe it's a reaction to the galvanized my question is this is this something I should be concerned with, or is it purely cosmetic? Uh, yes, you should be concerned with it. Uh, it is a uh, what's called uh, those unions, the connectors that go from galvanized to copper. Uh, if they don't have a whole bunch of white stuff on it, they're what's called a dielectric, D-I-L-E-C-T-R, a dielectric, like, like dielectric. Right. And, right. and there's a plastic sleeve in between the copper and the iron so they don't ever touch. The issue is with a deep well, you've got all kinds of fantastic minerals that are right. coming through that, and they are creating a battery-like, just like the car battery you have, reaction. Yep. So you're seeing electrolysis or an electronic reaction between the minerals as well as the copper and the iron. And and the water is the carrier between that. So you've got that, in my opinion, uh, absolutely analyzed correctly. But the reason is is mine to explain, and it's really that deep water minerals coming out of there. If you soften that water, remove some of those uh, electrolytes inside that water or mineral deposits that are causing that stuff, you'll lessen that. Uh, but that green stuff on the outside is the byproduct of that electrical reaction right. of electrolysis. Well, it's interesting you mentioned the softener because I do have a whole house water softener. And now that you say that, I don't have any of that corrosion beyond the softener. These yeah. are the pipes that go as it comes in the house. Mm-hmm. And I think I have a couple of uh, 
particulate filters, but it's all the plumbing prior to the softener that this is occurring on. Yeah, yeah, and so, it should be. It's Mother Nature is, uh, you know, she's doing what Mother Nature does, you know. Um, if I, if I, is it risky to scrub that off? No, not on the outside. No, it's all cosmetic on the outside, but it will indicate what's going on inside. Okay. Eventually, would I expect it to leak? Yes, eventually, but it could be, you know, it could be a year, could be a hundred years, could be never. Okay. But, you know, well, this, but, has been, this has been going on for a long time. The house is 20 years old and this is, this, this has been occurring, I'll yeah. say probably five years after the home was built and it just progressively gets worse. It, in that area, like it gets thicker, but it doesn't yeah. grow out further. It's just that area. Prevention so, matters here, Dennis. In my world, at 20 years of corrosion like that, I'd change out those pipes. Okay, okay. Uh, because do if you they, don't, it'll just, you know, it'll happen on Christmas Eve or, you know, right. the wrong time. Do they make copper uh, bell adapters in unions that I could remove those galvanized, couple of galvanized pieces. As far as I know, those are the only two galvanized pieces in the whole water system is that bell adapter, which adapts the Schedule 80 PVC to the copper or, and the union. Do they make those in, in, in copper? Ooh, I don't know about the copper, but you can do Schedule 80 PVC into your, into your uh, uh, copper. You don't need to have the iron there either. Okay, they make adapters for that. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah, okay. I mean, um, uh, Missouri American Water is messing around with all that stuff. So their pipes are scheduled, you know, I don't know, whatever. Right. It's a gazillion, right. you know. Yeah, schedule the, a thousand or something. Right, right, right. right. Okay, uh, well, I can certainly do the plumbing part. In fact, I've done most of it myself, so I could cut all that out and let new hard copper in to replace all the corroded stuff. And I just need to find the, find the proper adapters to adapt it and get rid of the galvanized parts. I think that will help. So. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a sourcing issue because the difference between a union and a dielectric union is whether this occurs or not. So, you know, you're you're just into, you know, welcome to the plumber's world and why those guys have to be so deeply trained. Yeah, I'm familiar with those unions when you describe that, and I'm 100% sure what I have is not that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, very much. Very good. Thank you for your help. All right, Dennis, take care. Uh-huh. Bye-bye. Bye now. Next up, let's talk to Dina. Hello, Dina. Scott, I don't, I'm just Scott. I don't have a cool name like Dina. This is just Scott. How can I help you there, Dina? Hey, Scott. Uh, we recently, within the last year, uh, converted half of our garage into a room, mm -hmm. which is about, oh, 12 by 25. Okay. And we had, had two vents put in, one at each end, and there's also a ceiling fan. Okay. Our problem is, is that during the summer months, when, like, just recently the temperature drops down at night at 60, 70, the air conditioner to the house does not run. And I run a oxygen concentrator in that room. Mm -hmm. So the room, like this morning, I woke up, it was like 78 degrees. Be besides putting a window unit in for those particular times, is there any other solution available? Well, one of the things you said um, indicates to me and, uh, you, you know, our HVAC pro, Todd, just blowing his mind here, the first guy that called in the first hour. The two vents you put in, I suspect, are only supplies. One is a supply. One is also in the actual um, main ductwork. Uh, yes. For the return? Yes. Okay. Uh, no. No, no, it's not in the return. Well, my point is, do, does air blow out of both of those registers? Yes. Okay, that those are both supply registers. You have no return in there. There's a return 
that is right outside of the room, and the door is left open constantly. Okay, I, I, I would are are both those supplies the far on the far side of the room, uh, not one at, one at one end, one at the other end. Okay, you're underserved for twelve by twenty five. Um, I, I, I think you just don't have enough cubic feet of cooling going there, and you're well, also it stays cool in there. In fact, it downright cold, like sixty eight degrees until. I turn the, the um, oxygen concentrator on. Well, the oxygen concentrator may, and I'm not sure. It puts out a lot of heat. Put well, out a lot of heat. Okay. So, by, well, you know, that, I think that'll there's your the answer. In, in one hour, that it'll drop the temperature down to, uh, I mean, it'll raise the temperature up like two to three degrees in just a short period of time. Okay, well, either take that oxygen concentrator out of that room, put it on the other side by the return air, and run a longer line to you. Or you're gonna, or or you're overloading the cooling capacity. That oxygen concentrator, it sounds like, is creating more heat than the AC can handle. Well, that's the thing. They, the the thermostat is upstairs in the main part of the house. Yeah. So that's what that's why. What can you do on oh. those nights that are the air conditioner is not going to run and keep the room cool? Yeah, a window unit this? would work great. I'm I'm worried about a window unit though because you're on, it's on the street level. Well, yeah, that's a different issue, but the air, the cooling question can be answered by a remote unit that has its own um, uh, thermostat, you know. So by mm-hmm. the thermostat being on the second floor so far away and all of that. Uh, Dean, I think you've got your arms around this thing. You've, you've supplied all the info. You seem to understand. You just need more cooling control around so, that room. So they have a convertible one. I heard it's on the floor that doesn't go in the window. Or they have a window unit. Which one is better? Uh, the window unit because it blows the heat outside. The con- the portable unit, if it doesn't blow outside, it won't work. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you. Bye, Bye now. Home Improvement, Scott Mosby. Again, when you, uh, again, you're welcome to the world of the heating and cooling guy. How many people live here? Uh, how many windows do you have? How much heat do you gain? Which he's just trying to, or she is trying to figure out how much cooling load do I need to supply? And once that oxygen concentrator fine up, fires up in Dina's world, it's just more capacity needed. Here on KMOX.